Welcome to Pilot Boys, episode 133. Today we have the NBA playoffs, the NFL draft, and a landmark Supreme Court scandal. How about that for news and notes, V? It's going to be an interesting one. I'm looking looking forward to talking about the first two. They'll be full of joy, and then the third one will be a little bit of a downer, but we've got to talk about it. So buckle up your seatbelts, put your trade tables up. The Pilot Boys are about to take off. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. Yeah, man. it's uh, This was a... Um, Fascinating draft in many ways. The draft is always exciting, as I mentioned last week. Just seeing it and watching it and seeing how pretty much for these guys, 21, 22 years of hard work, um, not just themselves, but everybody that's helped them get there, to see that moment where they get drafted, they walk up, they meet the commissioner. Um, I think in any aspect of life, when you see someone achieve something and accomplish something like that, um, it's inspiring and motivating and should bring a smile to your face unless you're a hater. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. I thought doing it in Vegas, I, I love that they're moving it around. Um, Vegas was just such a good backdrop for it. I loved all the cards that they did for each, te- each team and all the design work that went into it. Uh, the actual draft, you know, I surprised myself. I watched uh, nearly all three rounds that were televised, which is something I've never done in my life, but it was it was good TV programming. It moved at a good pace. I, it kept me hooked and entertained, and it was easy to have on while I was you know TikToking or doing whatever I do in my free time. Um, but I definitely want was uh, the most excited to see um, Garrett Wilson, Olave, and Jameson Williams go back to back to back, and that was you know not only a, a proud moment um, knowing our friend Zach Smith who comes on here all the time in the fall and uh, his role in recruiting those guys, um, but also just in general to see, you know, Ohio State, you know, trained guys go go up that high. It's it's always a good feeling. Yeah, this was a landmark draft for many reasons. One, um, a few, few different highlights, six different wide receivers going in the first round. Um, really surprised, surprised people. Um, but as you see more and more, um, they are seeing, teams are seeing, it's a copycat league, and teams are seeing the models that it, that works. Um, if you look at the Super Bowl teams, they're loaded with talented receivers. Most recent example, Cincinnati going from nowhere to somewhere by drafting T. Higgins, um, by drafting, um, by drafting um, T- uh, Boyd, and then also obviously drafting Jamar Chase. Um, how quickly their fortunes turned. You look at the Buccaneers, how they won. You look at the Rams team. Uh, these are all teams that are the teams that are winning are t- wide receiver heavy. Um, and I think that's what the model is. And that's what teams are following uh, now. That's why you saw so many wide receivers drafted. In addition to that, you saw two addition additional blockbuster trades with AJ Brown being uh, traded um, to Philadelphia and Marquise Brown being traded to Arizona for first round pick. So that's essentially, and then you add in what happened in the off season with the Devonte Adams trade, which was another first rounder. You're talking nine essential receivers uh, being valued as first round picks, which has never happened before. 
Um, and oh, I forgot. We, we even forgot about uh, Tyreek Hill. That's another. That's 10. Um, you're looking at um, the wide receiver position, really uh, raising the bar on the other end of this. What you didn't see happen was there was only one quarterback drafted in the first round. Um, as Malik Willis dropped significantly, all the other, you know, all the other Matt Corral, all the other top quarterbacks dropped pretty significantly in the draft. Um, and that was an interesting storyline. And in addition to that, there wasn't a running back taken until the second round of the draft, which shows a continued devaluation of that position uh, as well uh, in the NFL. So it was a very interesting draft. The NFL knows how to market every element of what it does and maintain its its interest. You know, I can't believe how many people watched all three dra- days of the draft, hmm. every single pick, but they know how to keep it entertaining. They know how to um, how to do well. And there were a few teams that did really well for themselves in this draft. Um, my last commentary on the draft is, again, just, you know, a round of applause for the Baltimore Ravens organization because they just know how to do this thing better than everybody else. <laughs> uh, the the other thing that I wanted to comment with quarterbacks as well is it must be pretty hard to justify picking a quarterback high when you look at the next year and you see CJ Stroud, you see Bryce Young, you see you know such such a different level of talent if you wait twelve months and you know obviously you've got to be pretty terrible to get to those draft picks, but uh, it's I, it has to be hard to look at the quarterbacks and to even want to make a move this year relative to the rest of the talent that was on the field. Um, I think that's why we saw, I think it was a record number of offensive um, linemen as well in the first round this year. Yeah. Offensive line is always a position that the teams that really are trying to build a team realize that to win in football, the most important thing is to, to build both your offensive and defensive line. Um, it's it's tried and true. It's not the sexiest thing for the fan base. They don't receive it the best. But if you look at the teams um, that build properly and go from losers to winners, it's always a result of them taking the time to spend high value picks, um, evaluating and, and addressing their offensive and defensive lines. Football is a very simple sport when you when you when you break it down. Some people, some teams, and and owners and GMs look at it differently, but that's the truth. If you if you want to win, those two positions, draft them and develop them. Absolutely. And this year's draft is also affected by the COVID rules, which gave an extra year of eligibility to a lot of players last year. So um, one thing I want to note is that a lot of those bigger bodies were aged in to their frame, which is not common for the NFL draft. So I think what we saw this year, especially in, in skilled players dropping relative to a lot of the bigger bodies, I think that's also a factor from an extra year of aging, an extra year of maturity that you know we won't probably see after next year. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. A couple other notable tidbits that I like to, to point out: uh, the Texas Longhorns had zero NFL draft picks this mm-hmm. year. <laughs> I just <laughs> just wanted to point Great. that one. That uh, and on the on the opposite end, Georgia, um, that defense. I think they had nine draft picks from that defense, um, which goes to show you how important uh, culture and development is um, in 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 college football. Anybody can recruit somebody, um, but 
can you develop them and turn them into players that can compete and excel um, at the next level? And there are programs that can do that well and programs that can't. So if you're a kid who's a talented high school football player, really make sure you evaluate that based, not based on the shiny locker room, but how many players are they, are they developing on and off the field and, and how are they doing so? And, and if you evaluate it that way as parents and as, as players, there are the programs that are elite, just like there are the NFL teams that are elite. So choose your program wisely. Exactly. Now, uh, moving things forward to uh, the NBA playoff side of things, we saw a few rounds close out. I was especially impressed uh, with Chris Paul's flawless performance to uh, close out the last round against... Uh, my God, who were they playing? B. <laughs> the the Suns were playing. Uh, oh, they were playing. You made me forget it. I knew Pelicans. <laughs> They're playing the Pelicans, who gave them a good fight. Who gave them a great fight? And you know, another funny thing with the Pelicans. I saw a bunch of these memes after, but you see Zion three sixty dunking and windmill dunking before the games. This man can't play. Can't be bothered to play a minute. In a playoff game, man. Yeah, they've got an interesting uh, negotiation and decision to make about uh, this extension, max extension. Zion obviously is like, I'll do anything for this extension because um, who knows if he'll ever be healthy enough uh, or want to play. <laughs> it seems like him and Ben Simmons suffer from being supremely talented at a sport. Um but suffering from some other issues that prevent them fulfill, from fulfilling that greatness. Um, and, you know, that team is scary. The thing that's scary about Zion Williamson is that when he's locked in, this guy has the potential to be one of the most dominant forces in the league, and he's shown that when he's healthy. So if that team actually gets him back healthy and he balls next year, it's going to be – you got to – I think – I don't know about you, but I think – you got to, I guess, take that $250 million gamble and give him the max extension and hope that he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, go back to, uh, to some bad habits once he knows his financial future is guaranteed for the next three generations. Yeah, that's a weird one, man. That's a weird one. Um, the, the uh, other team that really stood out to me in closing out was the Grizzlies. Uh, love the amount of energy and heart that they put out on the court every day. They got beat by the Warriors the other night. Um, I think just showing us the Warriors are, are a different level of team. They're mentally, skill-wise, even losing Draymond um, to a very questionable flagrant two call in that first game, they were able to pull it out at the Grizzlies uh, arena. So I think you know, it may be the end of the Grizzlies playoff run or, or we may be coming up on it, but I think... Uh, they definitely showed that they have the, the talent. Now they have to build the mental composure. They have to build the habits of a championship team to really get to the next level. Yeah, and, you know, this this Golden State team is unfair. Um, they're well coached um, by one of the greatest coaches of all time. They have players and they build a team where it's very clear role definition they know how to build a culture they know how, they've known how to adjust their system and most importantly and this is a factor that i want to continue to point out to young basketball players and basketball culture is that if you look at the teams that are winning they are all the teams that focus on the defensive side of the court and emphasize that 
You know, there's a, there's a cultural element of the NBA now that's just all about, hey, let's score as many points, shoot as many three pointers, you know, lo, you know, usher people to the to the basket. And I think a lot of these young teams that are supremely talented, where they need to work is on like one example is the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, pet, they they can really become a better team defensively. Um, and if you look at the best basketball player on earth um, by a country mile, I don't care what anyone says, Giannis, um, you see that that's the difference between him and everybody else. He shut down Jason Tatum and he had a triple double without his second best player and beat the hottest team in the NBA in game one. Um, and it just showcases that this guy is by far the MVP of the league. It's very unfortunate because he is a foreigner that the league does not embrace him as that because from a personality standpoint, there's nothing like he's a role model. He's, he's everything that you want um, as, as a brand to represent your brand. Um, and I hope the NBA really starts to truly see that uh, sooner than later because this guy is amazing on and off the court. Yeah, I, I agree. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful seeming human being. Um, the other team I want to shout out is Miami. Uh, just put it to the 76ers, you know, feeling super bad for Joel Embiid, who had an orbital fracture um, and a concussion in, in the closeout game of their last series. He's out definitely for games one and two, hoping to come back for three and four. Uh, but it may it may be too late when he's able to get back on the court. This Miami team has a lot of momentum. They have a lot of grit. And after that first round, it seemed like they really pulled a lot together. Yeah, it's it's clear that this is, a, to me, overall probably a four-team race. We'll see if Boston recovers. They, they, they look the part, but... I don't know. Giannis is just <laughs> immovable force, but it, it looks like this is the four best teams that we're seeing players. Miami, we're seeing Milwaukee, we're seeing Phoenix, and we're seeing Golden State. Um, I think that's there might be some surprises, but I think anyone who's watching knows that the, those are the teams that are showcasing um, their best talent. And again, um, I don't know if James Harden has lost a step or what's going on there, but it's been 11 straight playoff games now um, that he scored under 25 points, struggled again. Um, for the Sixers to have a chance, um, he's going to have to play like Houston James Harden, you know, um, and find that, find that within himself because they don't have a lot of, with unbeat out, they don't have much to rely on. Um, do, you, do you think they would have done uh, do you think he would have had a longer playoff run if he stayed in Brooklyn probably probably I mean there are questions now because uh, there are questions as to whether he's lost a step um, and the question is if he has lost a step um, and the, the rule changes in terms of some of the things and he's a very very crafty player I never took it away from him, his ability to draw fouls. I thought that it actually showed a great amount of intelligence and understanding of the game. But with the real rule adjustments, I think he struggled, um, struggled as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that was a definite big impact in his career when they did make the rule adjustments on fouls, especially yeah. on drawing it on three. Um, yeah, very interesting playoffs. As that builds, uh, we'll be able to continue covering it here. Um, 
you know, the other thing that's going on in the world, this has gotten a lot of media today. Uh, there was a leak from the Supreme Court, something that really, to my understanding, has never happened before. Uh, if it has, it's, it's extremely rare and uncommon. In this leak, uh, there was a draft of a decision. And, you know, just to avoid you know, fear mongering here, there's been a lot of writing on this, but these drafts are not always the final decision. It's one position um, side that they've written. But it was a draft that uh, appears as if they are intending to reverse the Roe v. Wade ruling, um, which was a pretty landmark ruling for abortion rights where the federal government said, hey, in this whole country, um, you have that right. And the reversal of this would move it back to a state by state issue where if your state doesn't allow you to uh, get an abortion, you needed to get one for whatever reason, you would have to drive to a state or tr travel to a state where you can get one. A um, lot, lot to unpack here. Uh, obviously, a lot of politics involved. This is a personal thing for a lot of people as well. <coughs> but V, why don't we start before we get into the actual what was in the documents themselves. Let's first talk about the leak here because it's pretty unprecedented for our judicial system. Um, to to be whistleblowed in in this nature in this style, um, what do you think that means as an indicator of you know how things are going within our democracy and our government, especially from a cultural standpoint? Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm not I don't want to focus on the political um, conversation here. It's more of a philosophical conversation about what our democracy is supposed to represent. Um, and the inconsistencies that we see. Um, this is a very, very, this shouldn't be as big of an issue as it is, even the whole concept of abortion, but it is the leading indicator of, of voting decision-making. One of the leading things that people campaign on, it's is he pro-choice or is he pro-life? And reality is it is not that impactful uh, or important of a position from a political standpoint or a governmental standpoint. Um, the, philosoph the philosophy of freedom of choice um, and freedom of rights that this country is supposed to be built on, sh it should be a personal decision regardless. If, if you are pro-life, you have the right to be pro-life. If you are pro-choice, you have the right to be pro-choice. If you are pro-life, nobody is hindering you from having that in your personal life. But you do not, as a, as a fundamental trait of our society, you do not have the right to then go tell someone else in their body what to do with what they want to do. And what makes this so frustrating to me from a political standpoint is that you see these these issues and you see the, the politicians on both sides. You know, you'll see one side say, oh, when it comes to the vaccine, it's you don't get the right to dictate what I do with my body. But those same people on the other side will say the opposite. When it comes to, when it comes to um, abortion, it's it's like and, and vice versa, right? I'm not. I'm just pointing it out holistically, and I think the reason that this leak is unprecedented is because of that. Is because of the underlying um, political climate here in the United States in terms of power structure and what is done in terms of distracting the masses. Because at the end of the day. This really isn't something that should be taking as much bandwidth as it does in society. The leak happened because they know the reaction 
that it's going to drive down to the masses in society and distract them, make people argue. Like, I can't believe how many people are upset about this today on both sides. You know, this is dominating the conversation while these politicians and the power structure continue to do things behind the scenes that are damaging to us as human beings in society. Um, and that, and that, I don't I don't know if that is a good summary of like a viewpoint. And I try to keep this objective, but that's that's the frustrating thing about this whole thing about the leak, right? And then also the final thing is when you understand how our political system is set up in terms of the branches of government. The judicial system is supposed to be a system of checks and balances on the rest of the system. As a judge, your political viewpoints are not supposed to influence your decisions. It's supposed to be the law, the letter of the law, and you are supposed to be a balance between the parties. And we've seen in the last 10 years specifically that even that system in our country, which is the most important system of checks that we have on our government, is being completely degraded by political influence as well. Um, and that's really just sad to see. Um, you know, and you mentioned something uh, that I want to give you the floor to talk about in terms of these justices and, you know, how many of them we actually think are justices that are objective and fair. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's that's your takeaway point here is that if you look at the Supreme Court, if you were to take a cross-section of America, pick your seven best judges who are the most impartial, fair, and represent the ideals of democracy, I don't know if you would find a single one on the bench today showing, you know, to the degree to which this was influenced. And it's not the I same. Think, yeah, yeah, I think if you look, anybody who's been in the last, like, 15 years, no. Some of the older, long we're losing all the ones yeah, that potentially you know I, yeah. I don't know any of them as people so it's it's hard for me <laughs> i mean it's just a cultural shift if you look yeah. at the culture even even 20 years ago you would see um the the party affiliation of justices wasn't even discussed um and you would see um presidents who were democrats even nominating justices who may have been more conservative or more moderate advice you know it's yeah. it, uh, I think that's that's the takeaway, right? Is yep. <laughs> back in the day in Senate, you you would have to respect the other senators. You would have to yep. speak to them a certain way. There was a decorum in the Senate that, to be fair, never existed in the House. Yeah, uh, that slowly eroded over the last several years, and yep. now to see the respect within the Supreme Court system start to erode, it's. It's an interesting thing to witness because it's not something that they teach you in government class. They can grow up. It's not something that they tell you like, hey, this is what you should do if the country starts completely, you know, fighting, essentially, using all the means of the political system to try and get an upper hand over each other. And that's what we're witnessing. That's what we're living through. And when you look at a lot of these judges today, you know, again, it's not about good or bad, but I think there's a way to apply common sense to it. I think the common sense is, is the action that you're, you know, you're choosing, is it increasing freedom or decreasing freedom? And I think if we're going to get into the specific issue with Roe v. Wade, there's an interesting level to it. Uh, the Supreme Court is really only judiciating between the federal government and the state government. 
So yeah. they're not ruling on whether abortion is fair or not fair, whether it's a right or not a right. They're ruling on whether the federal government has a right to create a rule about it or whether that should be a state rule. And, you know, that is an area where I think you have two different points of view amongst a judicial member. One is they're very literal to the way the Constitution is written. So they go word for word. And, you know, I think in general, my view is that when you read a book uh, verbatim, no, or any set of rules verbatim that's great when you're playing a board game but when you're upholding a democracy i think there has to be a little bit of nuance to the way you you take in the words because you have to contextualize them to the period of time the society that they were written in right and so mm -hmm. i think it's fair to find a middle ground in justices who understand the intent of the rule but you know seek for an application that is modern that is current to the values of today's society that makes sense and i think that kind of middle ground uh, judicial member is what we're lacking, especially in recent years with the polarized members we brought on who represent extremely strong stances one way or another, really as a tool to further division in this country, to further the you know, unsteadiness, if you will, of the direction the country's going. And I think that when you have these things play out, you see a few people take advantage of the chaos. You see BlackRock take advantage. We've talked about this before, buying up all the single family homes. You, you yeah. see Bill Gates take advantage, buying up all the farmland. And you look around and you know you hear all talk about everything that could go wrong in society and all the different ways that government is essentially working to you know, almost create more instability in this quest for power. And you just see a few people that are wealthy take advantage of it and get much, much, much wealthier. These types of moments have happened before. It happened in, you know, in the Rockefeller era. It happened in uh, 08, 09 with real estate, with the way that things played out in that ecosystem. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a weird one to experience and witness. It's like you, you, you just, you're conscious that you're in the midst of something starting to burn to an extent like we're in the middle of a forest fire in that it's a good fire because a lot of what we have needs to burn down for us to rebuild and for the you know forest to be renewed again to an extent but it doesn't mean it's not going to be ugly it's not going to be dangerous and people are definitely going to die from it yeah 100 percent. i mean the fact is like like going back to what you said and understanding what this constitution of this nation represents every state that is a member of the United States is supposed to align with the federal constitution that was created. That's why you are a member state. And I think that understanding has been degraded. And as you said, I want to talk about what you were saying about the justices. It is very important to not just read things verbatim and give things context, but the importance of being a justice or an arbitrator or any of these positions, um, a middleman in a negotiation, your personal views and your personal emotions are not supposed to be what gives you that context. Um, and more and more we're hearing about the personal views of, of a justice being pro-choice or pro-life. Those are not things that we're supposed to know or care about. But once those things are publicized, when decisions like this happen, which clearly, you know, and, and I am willing, you know, I'll speak to any constitutional 
any constitutional lawyer that is neutral will say that a decision like Roe versus Wade that is about choice um, for a person, what to do with their body, that the gray area is always going to, whatever gray area there is as a justice of the United States Supreme Court who is there to enforce the Constitution, you lean toward freedom of choice and not taking that choice away. And that's where this thing really shows that this is a politicized um, framework that we're in to repeal something that is that is as common sense as Roe v. Wade is definitely underlying how dangerous of a climate we're in and the Supreme Court being um, being compromised by personal views versus being objective arbitrators of checks and power checks of power um, and the Constitution um, really is scary. Yeah. And I also, you know, I also just want to voice this. Let's say they do repeal it. You know, what what actually is going to change in your day to day life? I think people tend to look at these types of things and it's a very polarizing issue. But, you know, I, I would encourage you if you've had many abortions recently and this is an issue you feel like really affects you day to day, start using some protection, please. And if, you know, this is just a philosophical thing really just consider what state do you live in? Who are you voting for? And what are the state rules on this issue? Because if it does get reversed, it's going to come down to where you live. You know, if you live in Florida, if you live in Texas, you probably can't live there if you want to live in a place where you can get an abortion, right? And I think that's the conversation you need to be having with yourself. And, you know, the byproduct of this decision getting reversed, if the people uphold you know, their ability to choose where they live, their ability to, you know, support certain legislatures, etc. We're going to see some level of population transfer into states that allow these rules or not. And, you know, my my view on things is if you if people aren't actually moving because they believe in something, they don't really care that much about it. At the end of this day though, the the counter that I'll give that give to you on that is that People on their passport, it says that they're a citizen of the United States, right? And a lot of people don't have the freedom of mobility, whether it's socioeconomics or whatever. They don't control where they were born or any of that, but they're born as United States citizens. And when you are a United States citizen, I think this is also what's happening in terms of what led to one of the most troubling things in America was the Civil War. Um, where I think states didn't understand that they were a part of a union. If you are a state that wants to move away from and say that the federal government, the federal constitution doesn't dictate our laws, then don't take federal funding anymore. You know, really be independent. And that's what bothers me about these states like Florida and Texas. And I live in Texas. It doesn't, and, and to your point, it doesn't, imp- the political climate and what these people say doesn't impact my day to day because I don't give a fuck about any of them. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> I know that I also am in a position of privilege where if I don't like where I'm at, I can get up and move and move somewhere else. A lot of people don't have that choice, unfortunately. 
um, in this country, whether it's just money, whether it's their families live there. And that's why if you look at a ruling like this specifically or any rule, and I'm not, this isn't about the specific act of abortion, but any rule in which if you are pro-life, this is what it fundamentally comes down to me. It's, it's not political, it's philosophical. If you are pro-life, the choices that somebody who is pro-choice, because it's not pro, the, the pro-life people think that the other side, and this is what media does, is that they're pro-death that they're pro-killing. It's pro-choice. And I think the understanding that it doesn't impact you negatively, what somebody else's decisions with their own body and their life has no impact on your life and your decision-making, you just accept that as a fundamental truth. This issue is a, is a non-issue. It is an issue because it's been politicized and it's a way to generate votes on one side or the other. Yeah. One, I'll also say this um, in terms of moving locations. Well, I think that what you're saying is exactly, you know, the point I'm making as well is that if something's really bad enough there, you'll find a way to move. You know what I mean? If people are, you know, gunning down folks in your street, like if you were in Ferguson, right, during all that shit, I hope you move the fuck out of there. I hope you went to the, to the nearest town and switch your job and change your life and did what you needed to to get out of that place. Right. But that's that's my view on a lot of what we argue about politically is like when you when you talk about, oh, I don't have abortion rights in my states. It's like in my states, like, first of all, how often are you getting abortions? <laughs> Second of all, if you're getting them frequently enough that that's a, as a real serious you know, inconvenience for you, it makes your life that much harder. I think we have different questions to ask. Right. So it's this is a funny issue because they make it all about babies they make it all about like killing babies and like this very very sad thing but it's it's an issue that you know again not making a judgment on abortion at all but just saying that the the number of incidences relative to the level of conversation is just not comparable yeah and if either you believe in the constitution of the united states and freedom of choice generally and consistently or you don't and that's what all this stuff comes down to. Stop tapping in because, because at the end of the day, like you said, this isn't, this shouldn't be the biggest issue in our society. But the way media and politics make it seem is like this, this is a landmark thing. You know, at the end of the day, Roe versus Wade should not be repealed. It doesn't impact anyone's day to day life that it isn't repealed, but they make you believe that it does. And because they make you believe that it does, they're able to put you into groups of, of people who fight against each other all the damn time while they distract you and do other shit like send billions of dollars to you to fight a war in Ukraine that we're not even involved in. So that's my two cents. Yeah. <laughs> Keep an eye on that money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, uh, this has been an awesome news and notes. We'll be back later for a deep dive. It'll be in a separate episode. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, other than that, stay moving. Be you. You as fly. Pilot Boys out. Pilot Boys, we get on